can Walmart get its act together? Are they getting their act together? Because who else can stop Amazon or at least slow them down? I'm Daphne Howland. And I'm Danny James, and we're reporters at Retail Dive. This is our podcast where we look into the biggest retail trends shaping the industry. We talk about what traditional retailers are up to, what's happening in the DTC space, and everything in between. Plus, we'll be talking to some industry experts along the way. This is The Backroom. But first, a word from our sponsor. Adian is financial technology that scales alongside the world's biggest businesses. Every sales channel, every customer, every payment, all on a single platform. Adian, financial technology built for agility at scale. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm here with Jason Del Rey, author of a book that's come out just now, Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart, and the Battle for Our Wallets. Jason, thanks so much for being here with us today. Really appreciate you having me. This is a great book. And first of all, I want to say I'm actually grateful to you for a large part of my education as a retail reporter. I was a journalist for a long time, but not always in business journalism and had never covered retail when I started with Retail Dive. And your stories are always really well written and sharp, and there were lots of scoops. So I learned a lot that I couldn't learn anywhere else. So I've been grateful to you for that for a really long time. Oh, that's that's really kind. And um, yeah, just try to you know pass it forward as much as as much as possible, but also just you know how it is. Try to try to be proud of of the work you do. Yeah, for sure. Well, you you should be. And same thing with this book. This is a really easy to read book in the sense that there's a lot of drama and tea. Anyone who is familiar with the retail industry, they'll they'll hear from familiar source stories. I mean, a lot of the information is public and was in the news at the time that it happened, but you also have a lot of close access to some really major players, which means some really enjoyable anecdotes, but also some really interesting behind the scenes facts that I think will even surprise a lot of people, even people who are familiar with the industry and and what's been going on with these two retail giants. Uh, And I kind of, both for myself as a reporter, but also for my for my audience. How do you get that kind of access? I mean, you at one point you talk about sort of swooping in on Jeff Bezos after being rebuffed um, for a a more official interview. But, you know, what are your different tactics? Because you clearly do have some, you know, nice, deep sources with some big players. Yeah, you know, I don't think there's any one answer. Um, But a couple of things I think about with trying to get to know and trying to build trust with, you know, higher level executives or just people who are, who are making important in, uh, decisions in the industry who might not otherwise want to talk to the press. Like one is to just show in your work that you're paying attention, that you're, um, you know, try <laughs> that you're a smart 
thoughtful, you know, thorough reporter, you know, and, and that is not always easy as you're just learning about new things or new, new, uh, pieces of the business, but, you know, just trying to show you're paying attention to what's going on at their company or, um, in their industry broadly. And, you know, but another thing, frankly, is just, you, you mentioned scoops for, you know, for a long time, myself and my colleagues did pride ourselves on publishing information that wasn't otherwise public. That was either going on inside a company or between executives. And, you know, once you start doing that, well, you look like someone who is in the know and, you know, human nature is people generally want to talk, whether it's to defend themselves, whether it's to sort of get credit, whether it's just to let you know or let the public know what they're thinking that may, you know, disagree with what's going on at their company or, um, maybe they don't feel they're getting the credit, uh, for some success at their company. Like people generally, most people generally want to talk and it's, so really it's a long way of just trying to figure out the right way to build trust with someone. And then, you know, if you're writing something that, you know, a certain source is not going to like, but you're confident in it, you know, being transparent about that. Um, well, just one last thing on this topic, you know, one of, one of the companies involved, uh, in this book, and there's only two. Uh, at one of the at one of the companies, their their communications department was was really just like, listen, like you're going to do what you do. Um, all we ask from you is is transparency in not being blindsided by you know something just appearing in the book that we didn't know about or didn't have a chance to respond to. And um, so so that's the thing, like. I think I have a reputation of, of perhaps being, you know, tough on, on some companies or, you know, not, I, I just look at it as not always publishing, you know, what, what their spin is, but, uh, nonetheless, you know, my goal is always to just not have people be blindsided. And even when I'm writing coverage that a company might take as critical or an executive might take as critical or, you know, that I'm transparent about what's coming. Well, I have to say it, it pays off because for anyone who reads the book, the reporting is very solid. And despite the fact that you get some, seems like you have some really frank conversations with a lot of the players at both Amazon and Walmart that, you're not pulling any punches. It's not like you're critical. You you're you're a journalist, so you're you're telling the story. That's right. I, I don't know about you, but I always struggle with when someone's saying like, "Why why did you write that positive story, or why did you write that negative story?" And um, and it's you know my my job is to tell newsworthy stories, and whether they are, you know, are good or bad for a company or a division or an executive in sort of the public sphere is not really my concern. Now, there is a whole other conversation about, yes, journalists sometimes or their editors, you know, choose which stories to story ideas or tips to pursue and not to pursue. And so that's, I suppose, a, a different discussion. But yeah, I'm not, I told both companies, I'm not out to tell a positive or negative story. I'm out to tell story and history of what happened and what happened beyond the press release. Which is exactly what you do. One of the things is, as I said, anyone who's followed these two companies 
will be familiar with the broad outlines of what's happened in the past years that you cover. But what intrigued me is how many of the details are either confirmation of things I thought might be happening or rumors that were swirling, or sometimes you actually say that this turned out not to be true, something that might have been swirling around. But what comes through generally is that these two really have been battling it out and watching each other very closely for a while now. Do you see that ending at any point? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I I think you know, even in the past at different periods of time, depending on which division of the company, you know, an employee might be working in, you know, there may or may have been more or less focus on on the other and and then that, you know, flip-flops over time. So obviously in the earliest years of of Amazon, let's call it the first decade or so. So a lot of focus on Walmart, a lot of fear in, of, of what Walmart perhaps could do if they really took advantage of, of their built-in advantages, but, but utilize them in, in online. Um, and then at Walmart, you know, in those early years, there was some attention paid, you know, famously, for those back who were aware back then, you know, lawsuit between the companies in the late '90s, um, having to do with poaching employees and ch- trade secrets. But then, you know, then there's periods where Walmart, most of Walmart, you know, the core leaders in Bentonville are not paying much attention at all, and so it, it, it flip flops over time. I, I still think, perhaps more so than I, I think in the last few years. Um, each company has been paying more attention to the other than uh, than any time, you know, since maybe some of the earlier days. And I think largely that has to do with Walmart kind of finally getting its act together, partially forced in the digital sphere, at least partially forced by the demand consumer demands of the pandemic, but also. Um, from finally sort of merging their their e-commerce and stores teams and figuring out, you know, where they really have advantages over Amazon. There's a section in the book that I think will be particularly interesting to a lot of people who read business stories uh, around retail. I don't know if it's about the middle of the book when you talk about the middle mile. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Chapter eight. So, and there's 14 chapters. So it's yeah, right around the middle. Yeah. That was a very intriguing set of, you know, developments and the middle mile and the last mile, the middle mile, it seems like both companies have been getting a handle on, although I'm, I'm not sure that they're finished. The last mile though, too, doesn't for either. It still seems to be causing a lot of, you know, just logistical, it's a logistical nightmare. There were just stories out recently about how even Amazon is just charging more for for delivery and stuff. Is this sort of the bane of e-commerce? Is this ever going to go away? Yeah. I mean, let me, let me just start quickly with the middle mile because I did, I did. Um, so, so I won't go through the whole chapter, but essentially I tell a story uh, on the Walmart side of Walmart bringing in a bunch of former Amazon executives in the late 2010s, 
kind of giving them some some of the leadership from the Jet acquisition. So Mark Laurie and his team, they they kind of give these new Amazon leaders uh, at Walmart free reign to imagine like how the middle mile should change at Walmart. And essentially, we're talking about you know what's happening to a package after it leaves sort of a big giant fulfillment center and before it arrives at a customer's home. And so, you know, I, I think it's, I have some great business drama in there where this, these, these folks from Amazon come in, they think they come up with a great idea to build out what's, you know, these, a network of sortation centers like Amazon had. What that would have meant, however, is that Walmart would have probably rerouted a bunch of package volume away from their longtime partner of FedEx and into the hands of uh, eventually the United States Postal Service for the last mile delivery. This would have involved a joint venture with a company called Nugistics, and it made it all the way up to Walmart CEO. and And essentially, at the last minute, he he kills the idea. You can read more on why or rumors of why maybe having something to do with FedEx's founder. Um, but anyway, there's intrigue. And when you say that he ga- they gave them free reign, they did. Uh, or it seemed to at first. At first, um, right. But they also they also gave them like gave them nice packages, compensation packages that sort of ran counter to Walmart's typical, you know, more cautionary frugal approach, which ruffled feathers. Yes, yes, and and like you know, people being asked to not put their real title on their email signature, and you know, I they're they're actually. Uh, on the on the cutting room floor, there are a couple other anecdotes that um, just about the that that for a, a variety of reasons I couldn't make it into the final the final version. But essentially, yeah, they they these these hires um, did not did not go over very well, nor did their compensation packages in 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 uh, the Bentonville home office. Uh, but so so your question though is, you know also about the last mile, right? And like, if and how this gets figured out. I mean, my big question on the Amazon side, and I don't have a good answer is um, their current model, which is all these delivery, this delivery network of folks who are um, wearing Amazon hats and Amazon vests and driving Amazon vans and being directed by apps that are built on Amazon technology, um, but are not Amazon employees. Like are 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 they eventually forced to change that model? And if so, what is what does that mean? And I I I um I think it would mean big changes, but I don't um that that's sort of what I'm watching for the next couple of years. Um and I'm not, I I don't even want to guess as to what, you know, if they have to change their model, what exactly that would mean. But what we're also seeing is like, and this gets into like physical retail initiatives, that Return logistics are obviously a huge, huge headache for them and starting to charge for some returns. Um, you know, I just I just wrote something today on my just on my own Substack about sort of the idea of Amazon customer obsession and is it going away between added fees and return fees? And I think they're uh, I think they created this sort of what was initially a beautiful monster of, you know, the people ordering one product at a time on Prime and relying on Amazon for everything. And then 
ordering even more because you knew you could return it for free. And now they're kind of looking at themselves like, man, we need more physical retail partners or our, our own stores to become more return centers. And so that's also a space that's unsexy, but one I'm watching closely. Well, so you say that, but if you were to write the follow-up book, I have a feeling it would have the same kind of, you know, you you tell a really good story. The The kind of back and forth and up and down and the, you know, the Mark Lorre years and you you actually cover how Amazon started closing their bookstores, but meanwhile, Walmart is giving up on a lot of their e-commerce acquisitions. They're treading on each other's territory, and then they're backing off, or they're sticking around with some of it. One of the things you talk about as these two battle it out is the effect on the consumer. And you also actually get into um, just how employees are treated at Walmart and some improvements that are made there. And then Amazon starts to get criticized for its policies and pay and stuff. So there's that employee issue that a lot of people are very concerned about. But the consumer is another, you know, Walmart famously kind of killed off local retail. And then as you point out in your book, they sort of become almost the underdog. And the local Walmart is vulnerable to Amazon. All of a sudden, the local Walmart is the local business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, going back to when I was talking talking to pu- book publishers, you know, pitching this book back in, I guess it was twenty twenty. Yeah, I, w- I would get that question for sh- sure, and it was it was essentially, are we is the reader supposed to be rooting f- for Walmart? Like really the same Walmart and that, you know, uh, labor activists would say is a, you know, union buster and main street, small business killer. Um, and others would complain about, you know, there, there's plenty of criticisms of, of Walmart, obviously. And, you know, I, I don't need a reader rooting for one or the other, but I, I say toward the end of my book, that in the last few years, I had all different sorts of important constituents from folks in D.C. to, you know, Amazon seller trade groups to um, uh, big competitors just saying like, man, if Walmart doesn't get their act together, like, who we don't know that there's anyone else that can stop Amazon. And uh, now more recently, Amazon's had its own setbacks with layoffs and increased scrutiny from uh, the Federal Trade Commission. And so, you know, there it may not just be Walmart that that can stop Amazon. But yeah, for a long period of time, you know, I I'd get just inbound questions from important people in all sorts of uh, parts of of the business world or government world in D- in in the U.S. Just kind of asking like. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, Jason, but, uh, can Walmart get its act together? Are they getting their act together? Because who else can stop that Amazon or at least slow them down? So what, do you have any insights or reporting on the FTC's just sort of the possibilities, the weapons in their, in their quiver against Amazon? It does seem that antitrust, a pure notion of antitrust might be a tough argument to make. Yeah. So, so a couple of things, I mean, way back in 2019, 
I had just reported on, so this is even pre Lena Khan uh, as chair of the FTC. I'd reported on uh, what the FTC was was asking of some Amazon competitors, sort of the topics they were interested in, and and one that's interested me, and then I've seen the journal do, report that the FTC is still interested in, and it is just the notion of whether the bundling of all of the services uh, within the Prime membership program is somehow anti-competitive. That you know all these services and products that are you know combined are worth xyz value but being sold for what they are whether that that is in any way unlawful so so that is one that like is not front and center but i i am curious whether it's still something they're poking on and i'm not i'm not totally clear other than just seeing some recent journal reporting earlier this year that said i think absolutely i i still do think we will see a suit in the next few months from the ftc despite some of their their uh, losses in the in the tech sphere, uh, in terms of lawsuits they they sought to bring, but I think we'll see the relationship with Amazon and their third party sellers, the fees that they're required, essentially required to pay to be sort of a a going concern on Amazon and have sort of any any growth. And I I am curious. I don't know for sure whether we will see also an argument around what we've seen some of the individual states come at Amazon for, which is the policy by which sellers essentially cannot price their goods for less on their own site or other sites um, than on Amazon. And so just, you know, I don't know how familiar everyone is with this idea, but there are sellers that have said, hey, with all the fees I pay Amazon, uh, I have to price my goods at XYZ amount, say $25 to even have a chance at at eking out a profit. But on my own site where I don't have to pay a listing fee and maybe my cost of acquisition is cheaper for some reason, you know, I actually could price that item at $21, which would be a better deal for customers. But if I do that, Amazon will essentially hide my listing. So this is a practice that, you know, Amazon's had for a long time. They said they got they did away with the policy, but then essentially their their search algorithm would just <laughs> it was sort of, this policy ended up being built into their algorithm, and so that is that is another area where um, you know I think California State's gone at Amazon, District of Columbia, and I'm, I'm interested but not certain whether that'll be in any FTC uh, complaint. Here's another question for you: uh, Thinking of Walmart and Amazon as these two giants battling it out. I sometimes wonder if investors will ever demand that Amazon split off its cloud services unit from its retail operations because retail is so thin margins and complex with the logistics and all this scrutiny from regulators and stuff. Whereas the cloud business has been I don't know, a cash cow. I don't know if you can call it that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If Amazon had to function as a retailer without this cushion of the cloud services business, would this be the same book, you know, to bet <laughs> in, in its battle against Walmart? Yeah, probably wouldn't be the same exact book, but, um, but I, you know, I've had, I've talked to a lot of smart people who've worked at Amazon over time who I trust, who've told me that, 
you know, the idea that AWS essentially subsidizes the retail business is overblown. Um, that said, like you can clearly look at the company's financial statements and and see the profitability of AWS and and then look at the retail business and you know the core consumer business and see what that looks like. So I, I think what they're kind of saying is like it's not like AWS is just shipping their, you know, their cash over to us and that's that's all where, you know, that's what we're using to you know, price, and then we price our products, you know, under where they should be because we have this cushion. I, I you know, I, I think they, I think that everyone recognizes that from a valuation perspective and just a, a profitability comforts perspective, AWS is, is hugely important. I mean, what, what I'd say is Walmart is clearly <laughs> envious, no matter how, how overblown or not, it may be that you know AWS's effect on on the retail business at Amazon. Walmart would love to have that kind of problem, and um, and so you know I've been told you know I, I report in the book like Doug McMillan's kind of obs- CEO of Walmart, kind of obsessed with the idea that that Walmart needs to be quote like making money while they're sleeping, and so these are non-retail initiatives that will generate money for them or not non-pure retail. So the advertising business is one. Another one which we haven't talked about yet is is healthcare, and I'm told that despite what Walmart says publicly, that Doug McMillan's one of his main interests in a big healthcare business for Walmart is the cash flow it could throw off at at a large scale, and how that could be used to sort of you know battle back should Amazon continue to encroach or try to encroach on Walmart's core grocery business. That whole pill pack. That's another story of intrigue in the book, for those of you who followed that. But certainly, it does sound like Amazon is very interested in taking advantage of what a mess the healthcare sector is in the United States. And Walmart, if you just, you know, if you go into a super center, it already has so many ancillary, they already have things like vision care and stuff. So, so much of it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the biggest, you know, I I had some very candid conversations with former Walmart health executives who said there is a ton of a potential in a lot of parts of the country. There there is a need for someone with sort of (laughs) power to use it for good in helping to increase accessibility to good or great medical care. But that Walmart's uh, like we've seen in different ways in its history, its biggest hurdle is itself. And more specifically, you know, what kind of top-down commitment is there really to healthcare? And B, can they keep any talented healthcare executives on board because they've churned through something like nine or 10 over the last decade? Yeah, that's definitely a section worth reading, partly because of what's already gone out there as you chronicle it, and also just this wide open potential that still exists. The whole grocery side of the business, again, a lot of intrigue because Walmart really seems to be nailing that. And then Amazon turns around and buys Whole Foods. But this still seems like an area of retail that is, well, it remains difficult, no matter who you are, no matter what player you are. But 
not really conquered by Amazon and still challenged over at Walmart. Talk a little bit about the grocery side of things. Yeah, I think for Amazon, it's been a space since, you know, the mid 2000s that they've had their eye on that they've, you know, their their current, cons- uh, I forget what his exact title is, but essentially current core business CEO, Doug Harrington, you know, has cared about since the mid 2000s, which is like, if we're going to fulfill our ambition of sort of reinventing the entire retail industry, we're going to need to get become successful at, at grocery. And so they tried in the early days with Amazon Fresh Delivery, mostly a failure uh, for a variety of reasons, very hard to figure out a right the right way to make money on that without charging customers exorbitant amount delivery fees. And then they they make the Whole Foods acquisition, which I don't think has gone as well as they would have hoped. You know, I don't I, I don't think the experience inside a Whole Foods store is considerably better than it was pre-Amazon. Many customers would say it's probably worse. Um, and then they've they've started developing their own grocery chain that's supposed to be more of mass market, right? Uh, with more mass market brands, and that's the Amazon Fresh store network. And I think they've really struggled with what the right differentiation is to get customers not just coming once, but coming back to that store. I think they had this idea that technology, just walk out technology, or these shopping carts that scan your I- dash carts that scan your items instead of a cashier scanning them, that that might be enough. And I think what they've learned is it's probably not. And that things like good prices and being in stock and freshness, like, I mean, maybe shouldn't be shocks in the grocery world, but like those things really still matter. And they're hard. And I think another thing they've just struggled with one, one, you know, in physical retail in general is I, I've talked to a lot of their, you know, former tech employees there who were like, man, like if you're a tech person, grocery can be pretty boring. <laughs> and so I think talent's been an issue as well. I wonder if if retail in general is boring yeah. for tech people because <laughs> The only reason I say that is because just th- thinking about the reports, I haven't seen the Af- Amazon fashion stores myself, but aside from the C stores and the grocery stores, it's all that's really left. Yep, that's right. The Amazon brick and mortar fleet. I'm just hearing, have you been to either of those fashion stores? I have not been there yet to, to either one yet. Nope. I, I, I'm hearing mixed reports. Some people really like it. And it's usually the tech aspect that they like, the ability to call stuff up and have, you know, kind of communicate within the dressing room. But uh, other people find it not intuitive and, and not very, if, if you're looking for actual, you know, if you're looking for fashion, it's not always efficiency that you're after. It's often feedback and a feel, you know, something else. And um, achieving that might need, even though that's sort of the magic of retail in some ways, achieving that might actually take a lot of boring, you know, retail fundamentals. No, I think that's a fair thing to, I think for folks who come elsewhere in retail, there could be appeal of going and learning at Amazon or, or going and working alongside folks who you know, maybe if you're a tech-minded person, you're 
you weren't necessarily surrounded by those folks at a traditional retailer, but going to Amazon may give you that if, if that's what, what you're looking for. But if you're an engineer who's, I don't know, interested in machine learning or um, some other sectors, and for sure there are ways that Amazon is using technologies like that in their physical retail, but is that is that really what gets you excited is the idea of, you know, shaving a couple of pennies of cost off of, I don't know, the, the, uh, ready, ready to eat, you know, sandwiches and the, you know, in the, in the sandwich section, like, is that, is that going to keep you going at Amazon? Maybe not. I was also talking to a retailer and he was a tech guy or is a tech guy. And, um, part of this was based on, he developed an algorithm for this actually, but he talked about a super customer where there'd actually be a reason to have an unusual item at your store because there's a there's a certain type of customer that's influential or somehow or maybe buys a lot of other stuff or whatever but likes that one thing so for him it it's sort of like you don't just follow the best sellers there's there's also these more nuanced reasons to have a, an assortment, even if it's not, which which you know if you if you remember the Amazon five star stores were just yeah. four star four star, four star. <laughs> not even five yeah nope nope yeah just though these weird bestsellers. What I what I one funny story I and I hope I'm remembering this correctly, but I thought that they were that some of the displays were digital and were actually tied into Amazon's technology stack. And so you would see the sort of almost real time star rating. And I could have sworn that I was in there and like one of the ratings went from like four to 3.9, which was, which I just remember chuckling at. And now I can't remember whether that was firsthand or secondhand knowledge. This is now, I forget when those stores came out a long time ago, but we're going to just imagine that happened for now and how funny that would be. What I would love is if, you know, it's just sort of mission impossible why, you know, it would be like sort of like the item itself disappears because it's gone below I four mean, stars, you know? The metaverse, uh, I, I guess the metaverse is over already, but um, that was a short life. Yeah. Well, Jason, I feel like I could keep talking about this book and your insights. Um, probably what people should do is go out and get it for themselves and read it. It's called Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart, and the Battle for Our Wallets. And Jason, you said that it's about two companies, but you actually talk about other companies in there as well. It's just worth a read. I can't emphasize enough. It's it's a good read. It's fun. And, um, you know, you learn things. And I did, you know, while I talked to over 150 people, um, you know, both on and off and on background, I, I should also just note that, you know, I did sit down with Doug McMillan in Bentonville, CEO of Walmart for pretty wide ranging, deep, you know, hour and a half interview and and um, did get access to, you know, the whole C-suite at Walmart, along with top folks at, at Amazon, like Doug Harrington, you know, now, now retired uh, Jeff Wilkie and a few other leaders. So there's a mix of, you know, the on the on the record deep conversations with the current leaders as as well as you know some more candor from over 150 other folks who um who know these companies very well from from having spent spent some of their careers there 
Yeah, that's definitely worth mentioning because, like I said, there's lots of tea in this book. And it's partly that access and the candor. That's kind of why I started with that question because, you know, it's like you said, it's a balance between getting them to talk and trusting you and then actually putting it on paper where we get to read it. Yep. Well, tried my best. I'm glad it's glad it's out in the world. I really do hope people will will give it a shot. It's gotten, you know, not that I look at such things like Amazon rankings, but uh it's held held steady as the top or one of the top books the first few weeks in the retail category and the the corporate business biography category on Amazon and some others as well. And I'll just give a little shout out for the audiobook version as well. I thankfully for all uh, your listeners, I did not narrate the audiobook, but there is a great, great narrator who's who I think really bring these stories to life in a in a compelling way beyond, you know, just just what you might imagine in your own head if you were reading it on a Kindle or in a print book. Well, that sounds good. I'm also wondering, you mentioned your Substack. What are you up to these days? That's a good question. So I do have a Substack where I'm starting to do a little more writing as some of my, you know, my weeks of media hits finally start to to die down a bit. I'm also doing some speaking gigs, but really in the next few weeks, I'll be deciding on on what my next gig might be if it's not going the solo path with with sub with Substack and and my own newsletter. Um, open to chatting with folks if there's anyone looking for a super experienced uh, reporter and storyteller. And I, I'm starting to have conversations with a bunch of media outlets that I that I put off as I was getting ready to launch this book. Well, good luck with that. Um, I'm sure you'll be snapped up somewhere, Jason. I just this was a really fun conversation and. Thank you for this book and for all the work you've done over the years covering retail and commerce and e-commerce. No, it was great, Daphne, and um, you all do great work as well. And so it was, it was my pleasure to, to get to chat with you a little bit about this project. All right. Thanks, everybody. That was Jason Del Rey talking about his new book, Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart, and the Battle for Our Wallets. This episode of The Backroom was produced and edited by Caroline Jansen please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.